Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Show. It's not the post game. I don't know why I keep saying that. Everyone knows there's uh, no hockey right now to be had anywhere, unfortunately. It's dead of summer, Eddie, but we got a ton of news, man. How you doing? It's going good. I mean, we're at the point now where like we're not even a post game show anymore. So it's like we might as well just say podcast, right? Like we're now yeah, just... for everybody podcast. Yeah, but it's just like because we're so used to the post game show. I mean, what? How many games did we do last year? So at least like thirty, right? Uh, Twenty five or thirty? Yeah, it felt like a lot. Yeah, but whatever. It'll be nice to get back to that eventually. Yeah, so we haven't gone live in quite some time. We've done a show a few weeks ago, but having a live show is something you and I haven't done in a bit. We tried to get Jason on this one. He's unfortunately unable to be here due to work commitments, Um, so that's unfortunate. But lots of Ducks news, man, Uh, between jerseys being retired, new Ducks jerseys being put out this year. Fancy new Ducks People signing contracts, people not signing contracts. Uh, Bob Murray, you know, flying off the cuff at season ticket holder events. There's just plenty on the plate today. And plus, Nolan Walker and Bo Grew uh, interviews at the end of the show. So plenty of stuff here to talk about, man. Um, you want to go ahead and hit the intro so we can get cracking? We got it. We got the intro this time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Oh, it's so nice to be back. I mean, we've been kind of just waiting for really the Montour news to to break because we kind of knew 
know, Aesthetics teased it, and then the Ducks said they had like a special announcement at the season ticket holders event. I think everybody knew it was the jersey, and then it was like just waiting and waiting for Montour to finally sign. And of course, it comes down to the 24th, which was was his arbitration date, and we can now finally get a show out and get uh, get talking about all this news. Yeah, I mean, it's like you could talk about the the, the minor deals. The Ducks signed some AHL guys, and then you're kind of like stuck just wondering and just questioning what the Montour deal is going to be, or if there is a New Jersey. And it's like, what's the hell? What the hell is the point of doing a show that yeah. way? We just kind of needed to wait for stuff to fall into place. But um, something we we've been wanting to talk about for a long time because it centers around you coming to California, man. Yeah, it is uh, Paul Correa and Scott Niedermeyer it was announced just a few weeks ago that the Ducks are going to be retiring their jerseys coming up here. How pumped are you, man, to see the number nine go to the rafters and and you get to come to California and go to that game? Well, I mean, listen, I'm I'm pumped just for him in general. I mean, he's my favorite player of all time, one of the reasons I became a Ducks fan in the first place. So for him to just be finally getting his, uh, his number retired is great. Uh, it's great for Scotty as well. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that it worked out that that's the game we're going to, uh, crazy circumstance, really, because we kind of just decided to go to this game against Buffalo on the 21st, and you know we're going to do a watch party on, on the Vegas game beforehand. And then, oh, the Ducks uh, a week later say, you know what, we'll make that game a little bit more exciting. We'll uh, retire Paul Korea's jersey on that night. How about that? Yeah, man, and then uh, my good buddy Elliot pulls through and, and uh, is gladly taking us to the game, which is amazing. So we get killer seats for that, so shout out to him, and then Dude, it's going to be a hell of a time. I, I'm so pumped. I mean, you said Paul was your favorite player. He was mine, too, growing up. I mean, I'm such a nerd that I would record games. I know I've said it on this show or a puck guys before, but I would have a cassette cassette player, like, <laughs> hooked up on my on my AM radio when I didn't have a TV when I was a kid. You know, I was born Dating in 83, yourself, not 33 <laughs> or whatever. I'm only 34 years old. But, yeah, man, when I was younger, I didn't have a TV in my room with cable, so... I would, like, record his goals and stuff and play them back during the offseason. I was a freak. I was an idiot. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm so pumped to have, to be able to go to that game and, and have his number raised. I mean, they teased it uh, last season and when when they were celebrating Paul and Timu going to the hall. And, and everyone was going to, you know, Henry Samueli was like, well, I mean, we, we love to have you up there, Paul. And everyone kind of, like, got all excited. And it's like, oh, okay, uh, we, we're not doing anything. Yeah, You know, Paul wasn't ready. He had this thing where he just felt like like he didn't earn it. He had to like backtrack it too after that comment. He's like, "Oh, we would, you know, we're, we don't know, maybe," because everybody was getting like real pumped up when he when he said that, and I think he didn't kind of expect that reaction, <laughs> and then he kind of had to wind it back a bit. Well, yeah, I mean, it's because they didn't discuss it with him. I mean, it, yeah. it looked really uncomfortable for Paul. Oh, yeah. It's because he's he's not a, an extroverted guy. He's very much to himself introverted. Uh, if anyone knows anything about him, he's very quiet. He stayed out of hockey. He's like he hides away on the coast of California and just surfs. Um, like he just doesn't play hockey. Doesn't suit up. I mean, as far as I know, uh, the last time he suited up prior to the Hall of Fame game was um, his last game with the Blues. Yeah. So that's crazy, and it's it's awesome to have him back a part of it, man. I think it's he's very deserving of it, and I think that's kind of where you want to get into here. Uh, the meat of this conversation is Paul was the superstar, the first superstar for the Ducks. Um, he played for the Ducks for almost a decade. Um, he had, the, and you could tell he was important to the team because when he left, people hated him here, man. It was like a yeah. split. People were so pissed about it. 
um, so mad at him personally, and, and, and you could just that just tells you right there he just it just rips apart people. But to me, that just goes to show how valuable he was to the franchise. I think it's about time he gets put up there. Yeah, and, and I mean, you could have made an argument beforehand if if there wasn't you know if if Paul was wanting it that he could have gone in before Timo did because of when he retired and when his career ended. There was a period of time where Timo was still playing, and you could have done that induction for Paul but of course it wasn't something he wanted at that time and there was kind of a rocky relationship with the Ducks which really has only been mended over the last couple of seasons you know it started with that surprise appearance in the playoffs where he was uh, painting the X across the nine and that was like the first time we'd seen him in forever and it was just kind of a random thing for him to show up there and then of course I'm sure at that point you know some discussion about the Hall of Fame you know they were talking about obviously they didn't know at the point at that time and then the Hall of Fame stuff comes in, and now we've got all this. But he's kind of just worked his way back into the organization over the last about year and a half. So it's great to see him get in. But, of course, now he's going in with Scotty, and I think that's where the questions start kind of coming up is, is does Scotty Niedermeyer deserve to be going in with him? You know, I'm in the group that kind of believes he does. But what do you think? Does he deserve to get his, his number up there like this early or right now? Scotty? Yeah. Um, he's very much one of the greatest defensemen right especially of his generation um yeah. and he did play a pivotal role for the ducks he was a captain i mean that that all adds up to it i guess you want to go to long you know the longevity of his tenure here in anaheim it wasn't all that long but the impact there's no question um yeah. i would i mean if they start retiring like chris pronger's number it'd be kind of like eh, nah, i don't really i don't see it but i'm, I'm okay with scotty I, I felt like it didn't need to be done though this year i felt like it could have waited it should have been Paul's year, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not upset about it. I'm not going to complain about it. I just I get where people are like, well, why is Scotty going? And along with Paul, Paul had to wait forever. It was like, well, there's circumstances behind that. Paul didn't really want to. Yeah. So, and and it's from Scotty's perspective. I mean, he did enough for the team in my eyes. I mean, he was. I mean, honestly, man, I'm out of words. He's was yeah. one of the main reasons why we won the cup. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's them kind of following that blending of eras theme. You know, they did that with the jersey the fact that they still have some of the orange and the silver on the jersey with the logo and with the black background. You know, you've got one guy coming in and getting his jersey retired from one era in Paul, and then you've got the other era in Scotty because he came in, I, he, I believe he came in after they were the Mighty Ducks or maybe the, the, the season before. I think I remember him wearing the the old Mighty Ducks third jersey, that the purple one, uh, the Coho one. But either way, I, I mean, it's the blending of eras. So I think that's why they did it. I agree maybe it should have been. Paul's year and there's a lot of things in my mind you know I, I I agree with you that Scotty deserved to go in because of the contributions he made to to this team he played five of his 18 seasons with Anaheim uh for me it's it's tough when you've got a guy who's already had his jersey retired by another team and that's where it kind of gets a little bit murky for me obviously his jersey's been retired by the New Jersey Devils uh, and now he's also going to have one retired with the Anaheim Ducks and I get, I mean, if you make an impact with two teams across your career, it, it, it makes sense. It just gets a little bit iffy for me at that point. Yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I mean, it's not much we could do at this point. You know what I mean? Well, it, yeah. it's, I mean, I, I just, I don't know what to say, man, because Scotty was such a huge part of that team. I'm not upset about it, but I see what you're going with it. It's kind of like he already had it done in New Jersey. Yeah. And now it's going to be retired in Anaheim. And he kind of saw it coming to because no one else is wearing 27, right? I mean, I don't know anyone else who's worn 27 since Scotty. I mean, that's, a, that's someone wants to pipe in on our chat here and, and school me, but, um, I mean, besides Paul, it was uh, Bobby Ryan wore nine. 
I mean, yeah. so that's, that's about it. Um, so you kind of could feel those things were coming around, but, um, I'm okay with it. I just, I, I mean, if I were to critique any of it, it would just be because I wish it was just Paul's year and that was it. You know, I think he yeah. deserved his own time, but, uh, it's great to have it done either way, man. It, it's nice to see him be able to come back and, and enjoy being around the sport again. You know, he had those hope, those high profile interviews, um, prior to him going to the hall of fame and you got to a look in on his life post-career and how traumatic those injuries were for him where he doesn't remember scoring that goal in game uh, in game uh, game six and doesn't remember anything on game seven or anything after that for like he said like a week if I'm not mistaken it was a long time or he just that no has no memory so the price he paid you know it's just interesting to see um, all those things about his life and then you see maybe he was a little bitter about hockey good thing of the way the sport was being played at that time but uh it's good to see him come back into the sport especially coming back as you know as a duck and getting his number retired and and we get to be there man you get to come to california yeah, <laughs> yeah that that's a little bit of icing on the cake i think the question uh, that a lot of fans have after that is, is who's next and for me there's really only one name and and it's still kind of up in the air if he really deserves it or not and that's you know jiggy and jay shigera does he deserve to have his retire his number retired next i'm sure it would be later down the road there's no way they do back-to-back seasons or anything like that especially since they're retiring two numbers this year but you would have to think if they do anybody before uh get and before perry it would have to be jiggy right uh, that's a tough one man um John Sebastian Jaguar had some good seasons in, in Anaheim and was a part of that cup run. And it's it's very hard, I feel, to uh, to separate emotion uh, as a fan when you when you remember those times when you were watching those games and you were cheering the Ducks on and you know it pull it pulls on those memories from you being all excited about the team and how much you love Jiggy and how much of a great person he was in the community and the fans and all that and that kind of gives you bias. I feel like um, I don't think he was a superstar. Um, I, I don't think he has that clout about him in order to be retired by Anaheim. Not to say I don't like him, um, not to say they won't do it, but, um, I mean, if they're just going to start retiring anybody above average play, then, I mean, you kind of open the door there. But I know that, you know, it's more than that with him. It's because of what he was to the team. Um, but I, I kind of hold it in high regard to have your number retired, don't you? Um, I think so. I, I don't yeah. know if he deserves to be there. Yeah, I, I, I think just don't. so. I mean, in I, my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would think the only way he he kind of gets it is if they were like searching for a guy before Getzlaff and Perry, because you know that's going to be a while down the road before Getzlaff and Perry get their numbers up there. And I believe at this point, and you know, look at probably where they're going to finish in all time points for the team if if they don't get traded. Of course, you would assume they'd probably be one, two, or or close to it. So I would think he'd probably be the only name that you could really consider. Because you're not going to consider a guy like Chris Pronger as much as he did for this organization when he was here. He wasn't here long enough. And I don't really think there's anybody else that you can throw into that conversation at this point. So if they were searching for a guy, sure. Jiggy probably has some things going for him. Of course, he won the Cup and he had you know some good playoff runs. But I think as a whole, I don't think he made a, a big enough impact to get his name or his number retired. I, I just I think you need to do a little bit more. But if they were searching for a guy, he's definitely on top of that list. I mean, it would it would go Timu, Paul, Niedermeyer, probably then Jiggy after that, and then some other guys if you wanted to stretch it out a bit. But Drew makes a good point in our chat. He, he said he's not sure on Jiggy, but he's more of a guy who would make like a ring of honor type of thing than to go up in the rafters. And I, I kind of tend to agree with that a bit. Yeah. No, man. I, I, I agree with him, too. 
good but not great is kind of where I put him. So, yeah, and you got to be outstanding to me in order to have that done. Just like I kind of disappointed the way the NHL's thrown around putting people in the Hall of Fame. I was I always throw it back because I like to tease my kings my kings buddies. You know, Rogie Vachon's been retired for how many decades, and he just gets into the into the freaking hall a couple of years ago. It's like if you weren't good enough, <laughs> like within five <laughs> years of being retired, do yeah. you really think it's okay you come in decades later? So <sighs> yeah, yeah just weird. the way they throw that Hall of Fame thing around is so odd to me, and I, I just don't want that to be the same thing for teams. But hey, man, I get it, dude. I love Jiggy when he was here. No slight oh, yeah. against him, but he's good but not great. So that's yeah. why I stand on Jagger. I think a lot of people loved him, but I mean, in the end of the day, is is you know, if you haven't done enough to get your number retired, you, you don't go up there just because people love you. I mean, and you gotta have to, you have to do enough to, to impact this team. You know, it's a sacred thing, in my opinion. Having your number ret- retired, you have to be one of the best players in franchise history. And you know, can we fully say Jaguar is the best goaltender in Anaheim Ducks history? Maybe, um, but it's not clear. Right, I mean, yes, he won the cup, but his numbers and everything else—you know—he's not an elite goaltender. So I find it tough; it's borderline for me. I mean, if I saw him get his number retired, I don't think I'd be upset, but I'd question if he fully deserved it or not. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple of hot playoff runs, right? Yeah, and those were those were undoubtedly um, <laughs> important to the Ducks' runs and in their cup wins. So I, I can't blame the idea, but yeah. Well, let's 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 kick this over to the, the new threads that are coming out this season. The new third jerseys; um, those got a lot of heat, but at the same time, I feel like man got a lot of love. I feel like yeah. it was split across the board, not even just for Anaheim fans, but I mean across the league or hockey fans. There were so many different teams chiming in. Even people outside of hockey, like athletes outside of uh, the hockey sports world, were chiming and saying they love the jersey. So. What's your take, man? You like those? You like those new thirds, or are you kind of like, eh? You know, I I liked them when they first came out, and and they've kind of just continued to grow on me from there. But I see like a lot of people saying the opposite. Like they saw them, and they're like, oh, those are pretty nice. And then you know, the, whether it be the shoulders or the fact that it's a black background and not you know the the purple is what is kind of getting to some people a bit. But I I fully enjoy them. I love them. I'm definitely gonna be getting one when it comes out. I think they're a great mix of the past and present and of and you know that's what they wanted to achieve and if that's what they're going to go with the whole point I think that this is the best mix you could get if you're going to still you know focus on the present with the orange and and with the D which they have on the shoulders and then kind of get that Mighty Ducks theme going with the colors and obviously the logo I think they they blended it pretty well I, I think it looks nice I actually like the black instead of the purple because I don't think the purple would go well with the silver and the orange in the logo, I, I feel like if you do the the, the purple or the eggplant or what, I'm probably going to get tripped for calling it purple, but the, the eggplant or whatever, if you do that, I think you have to go with the, the old logo. I mean, you have to go with the old colors in the middle, and then at that point, you might as well just bring back the Mighty Ducks jersey for one season, which is what a lot of people wanted. Um, I would give them like a solid 8 out of 10. I feel like there's maybe a couple things they could have worked on, but I, I definitely like them. I didn't like the shoulders, man. That was the first thing I noticed. First thing like I, got when I saw it. You want them like all black? I just no I, Yeah. I mean, just all black up there or yeah, maybe. Yeah, just something. I didn't like the shoulders, just didn't fit for me. I'm yeah. still going to get the jersey, though. I just mean I don't, I, don't, I just mean I don't like it. I just, I don't love it. So I'd probably give it like, you want to give it a number grid or give it like eight or a seven out of 10. You gave it an eight. 
But yeah. uh, right now's your time as uh, like Jason just put in our chat, our guy who can't be here, our other podcast host says, get those jerseys at Cool Hockey. <laughs> yeah. Get them at Cool Hockey. That's where you got to go to get your jerseys. There's a little shout out to our buddies over at Cool Hockey. And we're uh, giving one away as well. Yeah, I, there's We'll get more into that pump. at the end because we've got a little bit to talk about that some more. But we are giving one away. So if you're going to get that jersey, they come out in, I believe, they said late September and October. Definitely go over onto Cool Hockey because they, uh, they've they got some great jerseys over there. We've given some away uh, through FM3 Stars during the regular season last season. Um, we've had nothing but great reviews from the people who have gotten them. No, man, for sure. They do. They have a great product, man. And they and you can oftentimes get a better deal there than you can from your team store or the NHL. So well, check the them out, man. Well, the team store. A lot of people have been complaining yeah. about that lately. <laughs> they were, they oh, were yeah, like 240 I went to go on the pre-order one, and I couldn't get through. I was like, dude, it just kept airing out, airing out, airing out. Well, um, yeah, the website crashed, right? So, Oh, yeah, that's good news, man. I mean, they might get record jersey sales out of that. Um, they're going to be worn 15 times this season. The orange jerseys will be making a comeback next year. This is a one-off, it seems like. But, uh, man, it's, it's going to be a hot commodity, I feel like. Um, it's funny though because it's just some people are chirping ducks fans who don't like it. It's kind of I feel like, uh, like it's like well we're allowed to be critical and there's like oh you guys complain about everything the ducks do and then when they, you know they don't do and then when they do something you know you guys complain about it then I've seen that on Reddit, yeah. I've seen it on Facebook. Everyone just wants to give everyone a hard time, but it's like come on man, it's our team. We're fans. We're crazy. Um, we have to we have to give our opinions on it. Um, speaking of which, the amount of money that Brandon Montour shifting gears here from jerseys to signings the amount of money that brandon Montour reportedly wanted for one year compared to what he got for two years the ducks end up signing him to a two-year deal but it was reported he wanted 4.1 million dollars and only a one-year deal that tells me that he wanted monster money to go into his uh ufa years right isn't that how you feel about it i mean they signed him he gets right now 3.387, so just, you know, a little, I mean, a little shy, pretty shy of what he really wanted for one year. But the Ducks grab him for two. But how do you feel about that contract? Yeah, I, I like the contract. I mean, I like him at a bridge deal. Um, I, I kind of thought it would be a little bit lower. You know, I, they were talking about how he wanted just over four, and the Ducks were looking to get him at one and a half, which would have been an insane steal. Um, so I was expecting maybe something around like two and a half, 2.75 kind of like right in the middle of of those two things. But, I, I mean, I can't complain. I, I like the deal. The only thing is if, if he does really well, and, and there's a good chance he, he could. I mean, if he continues to improve and he, he works really well in a full season with Cam Fowler, which is what you're, you're kind of expecting, he could make a lot of money on his next contract, around 5 or $6 million, if not more. The cap going up depends on what his numbers are. I mean, if he puts up 40, 50 points, which is lofty expectations, but if he can do that, he's going to make a lot of money. I mean, you look at the guys around him who are getting contracts. You know, Dumba got over 5 per season. Truba on his uh, arbitration got 5.5 for one year. I wouldn't put it past him to try and sign a multi-year contract around that if he continues to improve on his production. Yeah. And the fact that they finally found someone to play with Cam Fowler is really going to hurt Bob Murray's wallet or the Sam yeah. Welly's wallet, really, uh, if, if this deal works out for Brandon Montour. I think it was a good move uh, for them to get him for two rather than one. Anytime you can get an extra year out of a player is a good thing. But um, it, it's the Ducks have never really found anybody to slide in along Cam Fowler. 
and perform the way he, he does. And it's unfortunate. Both Fowler and Montour had to spend a long time with guys like Francois Boschman, Kevin Bieksa, and players like that that just weren't at their level. So they weren't able to perform. And lo and behold, we've said it time and time again on the show that you, you put talent with talent and great things happen. So I think it's a great move for the Ducks. Um, I'm not upset about it at all. Hopefully he gets some more power play time on that uh, the Ovechkin area is what I like to call it. They so a lot to. of other people, I guess. But they need yeah. to put him in that in that circle for him to rip one-timers, man. I really feel like that's yeah. a good spot for him to be, and that would really make the power play more effective. And that's something they need to work on for next season. How many times did we talk about either putting him or Raquel there during the regular season? I think for a bit they put Raquel there, and it was working out, and then they kind of moved things around again and, and shifted, you know, shifted Montour back to the point, I believe, at some point. But he would be perfect for that spot on the power play. Uh, I mean, his his numbers on the power play would increase for sure, uh, and I think he's going to be utilized a bit more there for this season coming up, but he needs to be put in that spot. And whether that means, you know, shifting Getzloff up to the point and allowing to, to him to be, you know, the primary pass guy in the blue line and, and having, you know, Fowler as the other guy to kind of offset the handedness, I, I think that would be fine. I mean, the Ducks have the personnel to have a very good power play. They just haven't been able to figure it out. And I think, you know, the first step to, to having a good power play is putting a guy in that prime shooting position who can shoot the puck. And Brandon Montour is a key guy for that. I mean, make him the key piece of your power play and let him shine. Uh, that's what we've lauded about him for, for so many seasons. And, and since they drafted him, is he has a great shot and he can hit the net. And give him a chance to do that. I, I think that will be something that works really well for him this season if he's given that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you need a larger sample size. People were, yeah. people were you know, blowing it up that you know, he wasn't that great in that slot. He had his chance there, couldn't score a bunch of goals. It's like, look, not many guys can score on one-timers like that consistently given the opportunities, uh, the limited opportunities that Montour had. you got to give him a season two uh, to get used to playing in that spot on this team. And I think Getzloff's always been kind of the point guy. Uh, to run the power play and he's you know obviously in my opinion the Ducks best passer so I mean why not have him out there controlling the play and it, you're right you need a trigger man you just need a guy that's going to shoot the puck and there was so many times uh, that we've said this pa- this season and season in the past where the Ducks just pass the puck around pass the puck around pa- looking for that perfect backdoor play along the side of the net yeah. um, they just would never been able to have that guy who had the trigger and dude it's hard to be Alex Ovechkin. Let's not kid ourselves oh, here. Yeah. Not everyone's going to shoot the puck like that. We're not expecting things like that, in that, and at least in that sense. I just want a guy to be able to be the trigger man on the power play. Yeah, and he's a perfect fit for me. Yeah, there's only you know so many guys who can who can do it like Ovechkin or Stamkos or Line. A. Like those are the three guys that come to my head that can really set up in that spot and do well. But he doesn't have to be those guys. He just has to be the guy for Anaheim, the guy who can set up in that spot. And that should be the key focal point for the power play is to work it around to him. And the reason those guys are always so successful and those power plays every year are so good. I mean, Winnipeg, Washington, Tampa Bay, their power plays are always near the top of the league. And the one reason is, is people start worrying about that guy after it starts working out. If Montour bangs in, you know, four or five power play goals from that spot early on in the season... Teams are going to start taking notice, and they're going to start worrying about him and start double-teaming him, and then it's going to open up spots for other guys. Like maybe Corey Perry in front of the net is going to get a little bit more room, or Ricard Raquel is going to be able to work a little bit more magic on the power play, and that's just going to open things up for the Ducks, and it's it's going to be a blessing for them on the power play to finally have that go-to guy that teams are going to you know look for you to make that pass to. 
and then it opens up everything else. I, I'm excited to see how they do on the power play. You've, you've kind of heard Murray preach changes, how they want to play faster, and then that's going to help the power play. We'll see. I, I want to see something get changed, and that kind of starts for me with putting Montour in that trigger position. So how do you think this affects the Ducks moving forward? Um, I know that someone in our chat pointed it out. I was just going to bring it up that uh, Brandon Montour is still going to be an RFA at the end of this deal. Yeah, I mean, that helps the Ducks, right? Uh, they they still get that extra time to work with him, and, and he'll have arbitration rights again, I believe. So, you know, it gives them a little bit more freedom to work on a deal with him. They don't have to worry about, uh, you know, getting anything done on July 1st. So I, I like that aspect of it. But like I said, it all depends on how well he does because it's going to hurt them if he's a guy that, you know, if he, if he continues to improve season after season for the next two seasons – and if he's going to get paid around, you know, Hampus Lindholm money or, God forbid, Cam Fowler money, based on on how well he does, it's going they're going to struggle to find uh, anywhere to fit that in. You know, you got to remember too, the Ducks have to resign John Gibson next season, and he's going to be looking for Connor Hellebuck type money and term. So that's going to eat away a big, big chunk of the Ducks cap, and they don't have a lot of relief from now until Brandon Montour has to sign. In fact, the only big contract that comes off the books. In between that time is Patrick Eves, who comes off in the same season that Montour has to be resigned, which is some pretty good relief in just over $3 million. And then Jakob Silverberg, who's the real question mark right now, if they're going to be able to bring him back or not, he's a UFA at the end of next season. So that will be interesting to see how that affects that because you know he's probably going to get more than he's getting paid right now. We would hope that you know he continues to play well. You kind of hope that he gets a raise in some sense because you want him to play well and you want him to do good. Um, and if he does, he's going to get you know a, a good deal. I believe he's what uh, twenty six by the time his deal when ends. When he's now. done, yeah. yeah. So he'll be he'll looking be for yeah, he'll be looking for a five six year deal. So and, and around probably around twenty five thirty million dollars. So you're looking at about five five point five per season. So. It'll be interesting, that's for sure. I think everybody's kind of waiting now for the, that uh, the end of this contract to see what he's going to get. Yeah, and there's there's questions all over this lineup. I mean, the Ducks, they signed Cali Costa, Kevin Waugh, Andy Walensky, um, and then DeLeo also got a contract signed here by the Ducks. I don't think a lot of them have a, a big significant role in Anaheim, maybe bottom bottom line guy through third fourth uh, line guy if things don't work out for carter rowney or brian gibbons um yeah i can't see them making a giant impact but uh just speaking of things along how much salary is left and who's left to be signed i mean the ducks have about 8 million 8.7 left in current cap space andre kasha and nick ritchie need contracts both guys are 22 everyone knows how we feel about nick ritchie but andre kasha man i mean 20 goal season last year at 20 years old or 22 years old what do you think he's asking for that Bob Murray doesn't want to give him? I mean, because Bob, yeah. is, he has no problem letting guys hold out. He did the same thing with Raquel and Lindholm. I mean, what the hell is his caution trying trying to grab that Bobby doesn't want to pay? I just think it's hard to, to work on a deal. It's similar with what it was for Brandon Montour and the fact that, you know, he hasn't really played a lot of hockey. I think last year was Montour's first full season, as well as it kind of was for Andre Cash as well, and he had a great year where he broke out and scored 20 goals. At that point, you've got the player knowing that you know he can do better and that if he plays a full season, I mean, he only played 66 games next year or last year. You would expect in an 82-game season he was on pace for about 25, maybe 30 if he got hot. That's what he's going to be telling the team. 
And you look at even how Bob kind of low-balled Brandon Montour. I'm sure he's doing the same thing to Andre Cashin, and he's trying to get the best for the team. And then Andre Cashin as a player is trying to get the best for him. I would assume Cash is probably asking for around what Chase said in the chat here, at least $3 million, which is a lot of money, but he's asking probably one or two years at that and then going out, going out to prove himself that he deserves more. And I would assume Bob is, is kind of asking the same what he was doing for Brandon Montour, around one and a half, two million dollars uh, for a one or two year deal and a bridge deal. I think that's the deal that ultimately gets worked out. Um, you you saw the only outlier for that was uh, Ricard Raquel, who signed like a five year deal at three point eight million dollars, which was insane. And then look at the success he's had. So I don't know. We'll see. I think Cash is probably asking for a lot because if he got nineteen, he doesn't have as much leverage. But when he's got twenty goals, you've kind of hit that marker, and and you can kind of ask for a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, I kind of feel that uh, I'm going to side with with Bobby on this one, though, man. I just, uh, and how many times do I look at Bob Murray and, and feel like he's making the correct decision? But in the case of of judging Brandon Montour and judging Andre Kasha and Nick Ritchie, I got to side with him on this because. You got to show me, man. Show me what you can do. Yeah, you did yeah. it once. Let's see you do it again and then again, maybe again, at least one more time. I mean, Kasha puts up 20 goals again. I mean, then it's going to be a steal of a contract if Bobby line, uh, locks him up for three years, right? If he gets a three-year deal, a four-year deal out of Andre Kasha, takes him right up to, to uh, RFA status, mm-hmm. then that's a that's a hell of a steal for the Ducks. But uh, if they pay him and it's and and then they get him in long term and he doesn't perform, and it's like okay, then Bob just wasted a bunch of money, and then I'm going to be on the bandwagon of everyone else bashing Bob for making a bad signing. <laughs> so that's why at this point I feel like Kasha, if he's asking for that much, and look, we don't know. I, I feel like a, a, a lower a lower amount should what's appropriate for him. I mean, Patrick Eves right now is making three point one. Andrew Cogliano is making three point two. I think that's too much. I mean, for Andre Kosh, he's got to prove it, man. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I would pay anything more than like one and a half for Andre Kosh per season. I'd give him a two-year deal. I yeah, I think the term is is definitely going to be around one or two seasons. And, and you know, as Drew brought up in the chat, that Kosh has been sitting and seeing how Ricard Raquel has outplayed how much he's getting paid. And you know he doesn't want to do that. You know, Andre Kasha probably believes he could be a consistent 20, 25, 30 goal scorer in the National Hockey League. Otherwise, you know, he needs to believe in himself. He doesn't want to sign a five-year deal and then be stuck in the same situation Ricard Raquel is in. I mean, Raquel's going to be right. 29 by the time the, his deal is over. And if he's a consistent 30 goal scorer, this is easily one of the best contracts in the entire National Hockey League because he's making under $4 million per year. The cap's just going to continue going up. So I, I can see the term, I think, is, is something we can easily guess where it's going to be probably one, two, three years at max. If that, you're kind of getting away from a bridge deal with three years. It, it's just the the value. I'm sure that they're split apart on. Otherwise, they would have already signed a deal. And I'm sure Cash is on the high end, around three and a half probably. And I would assume Murray's on the low end in, in the kind of sense that you're at where he says, prove it. You know, prove you can do this. Prove this is this wasn't, you know, you playing on a line with Adam Henrique and, and kind of just gelling well. And this is just one season of work. You know, he, he's only got that one full season. It's kind of a small sample size at this point. So um, I'm sure they'll get closer. But Murray said he's not afraid to go into to training camp and even into the beginning of the season to get something done he's already done it before with players uh i i don't want to say a lot more valuable than andre kasha but ricard raquel and hampus lindholm you know those were guys you really want on your starting roster and he went into the season to sign them 
Yeah, it's just going to have to be a waiting game, I feel like. And the players got to play hockey at some point. They're not going to sit out a whole year, right, when they're this young. you got to show people yeah. what you're worth. And if you're holding out for a great contract, you know, coming off your your ELC, you got you got to think about something else. So you got to consider what, what that's going to do to damage you uh, moving forward. But you got to talk about Tom Wilson here for a minute, man. I, I have to talk <laughs> about Tom Wilson on the Capitals. Tom Wilson just signed a ridiculous yeah. deal from the Capitals. He had 35 points last season. Seasons prior to that, he had 19. A season prior to that, he had 23. And then a season prior to that, he had 17. And the season prior to that, he had 10. Those are Nick Ritchie numbers minus last season. The yeah. Capitals just gave Tom Wilson $31 million over the next six years. He's getting paid $5.166 per season. My that is God. unbelievable to me. <sighs> unbelievable to me how much money they're paying him right here. He's a role player. He's a good locker room guy, whatever you want to say about that. We, we, we're not in those situations, but good God, that's a lot of money. And I think that's really going to hurt people around the league when they look at this contract. Talk about from benefiting from playing with Ovechkin and Backstrom. Really. I, I mean, he had a good playoffs. He played on the top line. I believe, I believe he played on the top line during the regular season. And now he's getting paid for it. And now he's getting paid like a top line player. So if you're going to pay him that much money, you better keep him on that top line and at least make his numbers look somewhat decent for the amount of money you're paying him. I mean, what was his his career high? Like 30-something points last year is what he 35, it was last year. Yeah, so 35 is your career high. Then at that point, they're paying you for intangibles, which I always hate. But what else are you paying the guy for? I mean, he put up 35 points. He occasionally fights. He's kind of that pest role. So maybe that, in a sense, be like an extra... 500k in your contract but a guy that career high is 35 points like that's what two and a half at most and then people are still judging that deal so then you add on that extra 500k for him just being kind of that role player for the team then he's making around three i don't think we would have laughed at three you know three by five making about 15 60 million dollars that's not bad but then all of a sudden they come up with another two point one six million dollars to pay this guy they almost double how much we think he's worth that's gonna be insane it's gonna hurt them in the long run i don't know how many guys they really have to resign they already got carlson resigned they've already got a whole b back from ovechkin locked into long-term deals i believe kiznetsov as well so it's not like they have anybody they really have to sign coming up but that's gonna be an ugly contract even even already looks ugly but after next season when he puts up like another 35 points if that it's going to continue to look pretty bad. He has 35 regular season goals in four years, five years of being a Washington Capitol. He's getting paid like a guy who scored 35 goals last year. <laughs> Dude, that's it, that's unbelievable to me how much money they're paying this guy. Yeah. And he's, he's their pen leader every year, already 187 uh, penalty minutes last season. He's always in the box. He's a tough guy. He walks the line. He gets suspended. He's, he, and I like oh, that man. kind of player. I mean, he's, he's a power man. forward, I guess, without the scoring touch so much. Yeah. Um, he's only 24. If he turned a corner, let's say next season he puts in 20 goals, 25, 30 assists, and he like gets stronger than, than this last season, then that's a hell of a deal, right? You have a guy who's putting up 45, 50 points for $5 bucks. I, don't I just even don't know. see Tom Wilson being that player. I don't even know, even if he puts up 50 points and continues to play the same physical style, that it's a hell of a deal. I think at that point, that's probably the right deal for a 50-point guy on the wing who plays that on-edge style. I think then he's getting paid what he's worth. 
But oh my god, I I always hate teams paying for the intangibles. But that just you can kind of tell that's what they're doing in a sense. And then of course, winning the Stanley Cup, playing on the top line, that helps you. But some t- some teams just have to learn to walk away. Really, I, I mean, if he's asking for that much, not going to come down for it. Say, oh, okay, go ahead, walk. Well, you know, we'll we'll see see what you're going to get elsewhere. We can't afford to pay that. We know you're really not going to be worth that down the road. And we don't really want to screw a team over for the next six seasons. Like. You gotta. Sometimes you gotta say. You know, even if the fan base is gonna get pissed off, you know, of course, if, if Washington let him walk and if none of these details would have got released, fans would have been pissed off. But now you look at what they signed him for, and I'm sure Washington fans are happy that he's back. But definitely, I don't think anybody is happy with this contract. That's a lot of cash, man. Good for him. Good for Tom yeah, Wilson, dude. I'm not hating exactly. on that guy. I just this just goes to show you, man. What have I said? These GMs don't know what they're doing, my friend. Yeah. Don't know what they're doing when they make these deals. <laughs> I mean, good God, does it have a no move clause in it? Let me see. It has modified a modified clause no for trade. the last three seasons, which is just it makes it even worse. So last the, four seasons, the times you'd be considering trading him, you can just say no. That's insane. He's he's going to be thirty <laughs> years old when this contract expires. He'll rack up thirty million bucks. Good for Tom Wilson, though. I mean, he yeah. gets a hefty raise, right? So, I mean, what are you going to do, man? He went from uh, $2 million a year up to 5.1, and that's what I want to transition to now is Nick Ritchie is yet to sign. Nick Ritchie's going to be looking to get paid some money. Uh, he sees a contract like this, and he's like, hey, I'm a similar kind of player. I'm two years younger. I'm coming off my ELC, and I want to get paid. I've had two seasons with Anaheim. I have 28 points and 27 points, respectively. He's kind of been on par. Uh, he played a little bit of his first season at 33 games, so my bad. Three seasons, but he only played a little bit his first year. How do you think this is going to affect Bob Murray now and, and Nick Ritchie? I think it affects Nick Ritchie. I'm sure he looks at that and his agent looks at that and says, you know what, You know, we've put up more points than this guy over the last couple of seasons, or, or close to it at least, You know, 28 points and 27 points. Uh, I'm sure he looks at it and says, you know, we can get more. Not, I don't think he'll say, give me $5 million. But I definitely think they'll think that they can get more money now because the point total is around the same. And, you know, that they might have been looking around two, two and a half at the high end, maybe 1.5 on the low end. And now he sees this and their high end kind of goes up a bit to maybe like three, three and a half on a longer term deal. Um yeah, I, it, it's an interesting situation. I, I thought this would probably be the easiest of the three between him, Montour, and Andre Kasha. And with this signing, I think it gets a lot more difficult. I mean, the only other guy similar to him in a way, you know, Pat Maroon signed, but he signed a team-friendly deal with St. Louis. And then the, really the only other comparable at this point was Tom Wilson, and then he just gets paid. So you've got low-end in Maroon, high-end in Wilson, and Richie in the middle trying to make sense of what he's worth. And, of course, Bob is going to want a low ball again to try and fit these guys in and, and also re-sign John Gibson. So I, I don't know, man. This is going to be tough. I think if anyone goes the distance, it's probably this one. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough to see what they come up with. I'm, I'm sure Bob lost whatever little bit of hair he had left on top of his head when he saw this thing come out tonight on Twitter. Yeah, He probably he probably called <laughs> he probably called the caps and was like, what the hell are you guys doing to me over here? I'm, you guys are just overpaying for a guy who's a borderline goon. And now I got a, I got a Nick Ritchie over here who thinks that he plays similar style hockey, which he does, and now he wants to make three to four million bucks. So just that's going to be a tough contract for Bob to work out with Ritchie. Um, I, I like Nick Ritchie's game. 
on the fact as long as he's playing on a bottom six role, I don't think that he's he's made use of his opportunities to play in the top six unless he turns some sort of corner here at 22 years old, in which he possibly could. But I think we kind of know what we're going to get with Richie. And he, he's just not the same player that, uh, from an AHL perspective transitioning to NHL. He's not able to, to run uh, run the league the way he was uh, when he was with the goals. So I don't know if I'm going to pay him big bucks. I, I feel like he's got to slot in a little bit lower and take a smaller deal and see what he's able to become. And that's kind of what's been the story we've been saying. Uh, that's what we kind of looked at with Brandon Montour. It's what we looked at at Andre Kasha. Now we're saying it about Nick Ritchie. I mean, these guys want to get paid but I don't have the, the resume to fulfill that, I feel. Yeah, I, I think with with uh, Montour and Cash, it's a small sample size of, of some really good some really good hockey on their part. You know, Montour had a great season, Cash had a great season, and we've only seen that one season. And now for them, you say, oh, I want to sign you know a two-year deal to prove that I'm worth more. For Nick Ritchie, for me, it's almost too, you know, he's had two underwhelming seasons where he was drafted 10th overall. We've expected so much out of him. And now he's signing a deal to almost prove that he can get somewhere close to what we expected from him. It's on, on the opposite end of the spectrum when you're comparing him to Cash and Montour. So I, I, I think he signs a shorter-term deal again, just the same, but in hoping that he can get even somewhat close to the lofty expectations. I mean, when you get drafted 10th overall, you're expected to be a top-six guy, probably a 20-goal scorer when you looked at his resume coming out of the OHL. Uh, and he's got nowhere close to that. I I think if he gets drafted in the later rounds, we're not even caring about his production. We're probably happy with it because, you know, 28, 27 points for a guy who's like a third or fourth line guy, the way he plays, that's not bad. I mean, Cavs fans love Tom Wilson, but Tom Wilson wasn't a 10th overall pick. So I think that's, again, I've said this multiple times, but I think that's what hurts Nick Ritchie is we expected so much for him with the high draft pick, and you look at all the other guys who you could have got drafting you know, if you drafted somebody else instead of him, Dylan Larkin is always the one I touch on because it was kind of five picks right after. When you look at Larkin putting up a sixty-point season last year, so that's the tough thing I think for Nick Ritchie is is without that tenth overall pick status, he's a decent player. Well, let's talk about another extension the Ducks made a couple weeks ago. Adam Henrique gets paid. Um, he's coming back to Anaheim uh, long term, which is I feel is a kind of indicative as to what the status of Ryan Kessler is. I know that everyone around the Ducks organization is very mum about how Ryan Kessler is progressing with his injury and his rehabilitation and if he's going to come back and play after all the news we heard from Elliot Friedman. But Adam Henrique, my friend, is back. Uh, He signs a five-year deal. He gets an annual average of, I think it was four? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, $4 million a year. No, that's his current contract. And then he gets paid five point eight five. Yeah, my bad. Thanks for the correction there. He's still got another <laughs> year on his deal. Yeah, and that yes. was the kicker on it is that yes. he didn't even need to be signed. But then the Ducks were like, "No, we need you. We yeah. desperately need you. So we're going to pay you twenty nine million dollars over the next five years." Yeah, I, I think it was a did, little. Did you high. hate it? Did you love it? I don't know, man. I think it was a little high, just but just slightly. I mean. For me, he's probably a 20-goal, 50-point guy, which isn't bad. And, again, now you look at this Tom Wilson contract and say, this is a great contract for Adam Henrique if Tom Wilson's getting paid only about 700 k less than him. But the the real comparison for me is you look at what Paul Stassi is getting paid for three seasons in uh, Vegas. I believe it's like six and a half. And I think they're very similar players. I think Stati is a little bit more of a playmaker, but you know they're sitting around about 50, 55 points each. 
Henrik's going to probably put in 20 goals, whereas Statsy's going to put in 10 and, and add more assists. So they're, they're similar in that sense. Uh, and they're paying Statsny a lot more than they are Adam Henrik, and Adam Henrik's about uh, five or six years younger than Paul Statsny. So I, I think it's a good deal. I, I think they need him with the uncertainty surrounding Ryan Kessler. You need to have a guy who, who can be a bona fide second line center for you behind Ryan Getzlaff, because if they don't sign him and then he, you know, he ends up going in free agency and, and Ryan Kessler just is not the same guy, well, you're running with Getzlaff, Terry, and Steele as your one, two, three for the next couple seasons. And if they're not ready, then you you never know. And if if they're not centers, we still don't know what Troy Terry is. We have no idea what Sam Steele is at the NHL level. If they're going to continue to be centers, or if they're going to shift to the wing. So, I like the deal. I think maybe five point five. Maybe 5.25 would have been more around something that would have been a little bit more comfortable for me, but I'm not going to harp over 600K. No, not at all, man. I, I feel like it's the, the Ducks are ensuring that they're going to stay older for a little while um, as they transition new players in from the bottom. But, I mean, given the situation they have right here, I'm glad I would take Adam Henrique over uh, Paul Stastny. Paul Stastny is 32 yeah. years old, four years older and making six and a half for the next three years. I feel like that was a little bit of an overpayment for sure. And Henry is just, uh, he says he loves it here, man. He posted a picture of him wearing a Mighty Ducks hat uh, when he was a kid, and uh, he said he's always, always wanted to play here. So if that's, if that's the deal, then of course you're going to win over all the fans, man. And I think that that also helps whatever yeah. contract issues people are upset about to kind of go away when they're like, oh, man, he loves the Ducks. He loves being here. He's got a player. Um <laughs> uh, but I think it's a good deal, man. I think they need to get him here. They need him on that second line. He's a constant, and like you said, paying five point eight for a fifty point guy, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, and I mean, let, let's look at who he played with last year as well. I mean, Kasha and Richie—they're not bums by any means, and I like Andre Kasha, but you know, he didn't play with the best players the Ducks have to offer. I mean, it, you look at this year, he might get an advanced role, and if he plays with Jakob Silverberg or with Corey Perry. You could see his numbers increase. I think he'll still be around a 20-goal guy, but the assist totals could definitely increase. And if he's playing consistent time on the, the second line with the Ducks and maybe second pairing on the power play, he could scratch 60 points in a good year for him. And then if you look at his contract and the fact he's only making 5.85, and if he becomes a 60-point guy playing an increased role with the Ducks, that's a great deal. And I'm sure you know the last couple of years of the contract we'll be looking at it and saying, ah, that's a little much, but... When you need a guy and you need him now, and at least you need him for the next three years, sometimes you overpay, and those last two years look a little bit shitty. I mean, you got to pay for the insurance plan. That's kind of the yeah. way it goes. Um, so that's Adam Henrique. And this also, all this talk of contracts, you mentioned it a little earlier in the show, Johnny Gibson's going to need a contract after this season. Um, he's a great goaltender, and yet we saw another goaltender who had a great season, Connor Hellebuck get absolutely paid and we talked about this on the puck guys uh when we're talking goaltenders this is a that's tough man that's a lot of money for connor Hellebuck after one great year um i mean how do you feel like this affects the dynamic for john gibson i think john gibson's a better goaltender and he's proven it over a longer period of time I think Hellebuck benefited from the vesna nomination i think that helped him get a little bit more money maybe he was around five he was snubbed yeah, well, for, for sure, that, for sure. But when you have that nomination, you can point to it as a player and say, look what I have, and then you can pay me for this, right? And he didn't win it. I'm sure if he won it, then he probably would be making around $7 million. So Gibby doesn't have that 6. yet. 6.1 ain't bad. 
Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gibby doesn't have that to point to, but he has the numbers. I mean, I, I think it was uh, Sporting News. They tweeted something out, I think this was a couple weeks ago now when I sent it to you. And since 2012, 2013, the goaltender who has the best save percentage in the NHL is John Gibson at point nine two four. Since 2012, 2013. That's insane. I mean, he can yeah. point to that and say, I've statistically, in save percentage, I've been the best goaltender for the last three or four seasons. Now, of course, there were some guys on that list, and like Auntie Ranta and other guys who are benefiting from the teams they're playing on. And you could say to some extent, Gibson benefited from playing on a very good Anaheim Ducks team for those at least the first three seasons after 2012-2013. So there, there's some things that go into that. But if he comes out next year and gets a nomination, or God forbid he wins the Vesna Trophy, he's going to get paid even more than Connor Hellebuck does. I think he probably already gets paid more. I think he probably settles around six and a half. But if he gets that nomination, or he wins it, or he wins you know any kind of trophy, or just has an outstanding season, he could be scratching seven. And, and I think he's worth it, but that's tough. That's a tough deal to lock yourself into when you look at some of the contracts they've already locked themselves into. Yeah, and you know the word around the street is is that you don't have to pay your goaltender gigantic amounts of money in order to win Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. And that's but who else that's do they have seen across the board? Other right? teams have yeah, guys they can go to. Yeah, he's definitely they, got him in a hole on this one. Yeah, I mean that's why the Ducks have been drafting goalies to hope that maybe something comes up, but it's it's too late at this point. You know, Gibby needs a contract next year. We have no idea at that point what Ole Eriksson Ek will be, what Lucas Dostal will be, what Roman Durney will be. Kevin Boyle, even you would assume at this point, I don't think he's ever going to be a starter, maybe let alone a backup in the NHL. So, Miller, no, you can't rely on him because he's only got a couple seasons left. So, so Gibby can say, I'm your guy, and if you don't pay me, you have nobody. <laughs> like, you're, you're done. You're, you're in a rebuild because who are you going to play? Who's going to start for you? Unless you go out in free agency and try and get a guy or get somebody through a trade, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to pay him. And the Ducks almost have no leverage to say, oh, you know, you're worth a little bit less. Well, he'll say, oh, no, look at my numbers. Look at the goaltender depth in, in, in this team. You're going to pay me what I want. And I think that's what's going to happen, and he's going to get at least six and a half. That's what I was thinking, too. He's going to get six and a half or seven million bucks. He's just going to sure. make that much money. Yeah. He, he's taking a hometown discount if he gets less than six. Yeah, and he doesn't seem like the type of guy to take a hometown discount. No, I think I don't think he's that guy either. I think he's definitely going to get what he's worth. And he's, he's going to do exactly what you said. Who, who else are you going to get? Who yeah. else are you going to bring in here to take my role? Good luck. I mean, yeah. Ryan Miller's only got one more year left on his deal, and he's 38 years old, and he's not a starter in this league. He didn't come here to be a starter. So, yeah, man, I think that John Gibson's really, really going to be making some serious cash, especially if he has an equal or better year this upcoming year than he's just going to get paid. It's going to be ridiculous for Bob Murray to try to work these contracts out, which – leads us beyond to the next part of this with no one's talking about is at least on a, on a resigning aspect is Jacob Silverberg. There's yeah. no talk of him being resigned at all. You don't ever hear about it. They're talking about Nick Ritchie. They're talking about Andre Kasha. They were talking about Brandon Montour. They being the ducks. I haven't really heard anything on the Silverberg front man of you. I only heard from what Bob Murray said at the season ticket holder event where he said that he might have to shift Silverberg over to left wing because they've got Eves, Cash, and Perry that really only play right wing. I think Eves is probably the only other guy who's experienced playing on the left before, and I think they want to put him up with Getzloff on the right side. 
So already that kind of seems like he's got one foot out the door, Yak, if Silverberg does, because they're moving him over from his favorite position to left wing because he's kind of the fourth option on the right side of, uh, of the wing right now for the Ducks. So they're going to move him over to the left. I don't think they trade him at this point unless they get uh, you know something that can help them in return and somebody with term. But uh, I just don't see how they bring him back because you would assume he would get a raise on 3.75 unless he takes a team-friendly deal. Um, and, you know, when you're already moving a guy over to the left from his favorite position, you've already got to re-sign a guy like John Gibson. You, you've re-signed Montour. You've re-signed Adam Henry. You've got a lot of money locked up in your big three in Getzlaff, Getz, Kessler, and Perry. There's just not going to be enough room to pay Silverberg four and a half, five million over three or four or even five seasons. I just don't see how they get it done. And I like him, and I still think he's a guy, if he figures a couple things out, has 30-goal potential. But he's, what, 27 now? Uh, how yeah, long man, are we he got old wait? quick, right? Just like all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how long are we going to wait for him to figure things out? I mean, if he signs a four- or five-year deal, it takes him to 31-32. And that could be a contract that ends up really hurting the Ducks. So he's a guy that... You know, if he doesn't get moved before the season starts, maybe at the deadline, depending on how the Ducks do. Because Murray said he doesn't want to lose him for nothing. But you, you get put in such a difficult position at the deadline. If you're a good team, do you move this guy? You know, Do you move him, get something in return, maybe get another player back, maybe try and package Silver with something to get a guy with terms so you don't have to worry about signing somebody? I mean, how do you, how do you wait to the deadline and figure this out? Because if you're good, you'd want to keep a hold of him. You don't. You move them. You move them as soon as possible. I feel like That's they need to move them think, out of the way. Yeah. I would yeah, think they, so. They got to move them out of the way. I mean, Murray's comments in the Athletic are, as we did a few years ago when we got beat by Chicago in the semis, we ended up losing Boschman and Bolesky after that. It's all fine and dandy to go out and take a run at the cup, but if you lose players for nothing, you can't get caught up. Eventually, it eats you right in the butt. Did he really just say, eventually, it eats you? right yes. in the butt instead it gets you that's a right in the butt quote. i wonder if that's an eric stevens <laughs> typo or if murray said something eats you right in the butt that's either way he probably said like eat you right in the ass and they just didn't want to put it <laughs> i don't know maybe he <laughs> no, said eat you right in the butt would say that i just read that right now and i started laughing in my head I'm like who says someone's gonna eat your ass if you can't? <laughs> that's essentially what he's saying man well, um that makes you laugh <laughs> you know what i think for for jacob silverberg because if you go and you take another quote that Murray said from that season ticket holder event. He said that he feels Terry Steele and Kevin Waugh are close to making the team, um, and, and they'll kind of know more maybe when the season starts or going into training camp. I think he kind of waits it out and sees. You know, Right now there really isn't a place for any one of those three in the, the, the starting lineup for the Ducks, and maybe he sees how they do either in training camp or to start the season, and if they're just way too good to, to play down in San Diego – then he's in a position where he can move Jakob Silverberg. doesn't have to be for an impact player. It can be for draft picks or for prospects and bring up a guy like Troy Terry and play him or bring up a guy like Sam Steele or Kevin Waugh, and, and it's a seamless transition. You're getting the same impact, maybe even more. For You don't know what the potential for these young guys are coming into the season. If he feels they're close, and from what we saw from Kevin Waugh at some points and, and Troy Terry at the end of last year and even Sam Steele in, in – at the Memorial Cup and throughout his season with Regina, these are guys who could make a significant impact if they're NHL ready. So I think he waits and sees how those guys do, and if they're ready to come in, then he can just move them. You're in the, and I think he even uh, kind of referred to that at that point is when the young guys come up and they're ready, we'll make room for them. 
Well, that kind of means Jacob Silverberg is on his way out at that point because who else are you moving? Maybe Corey Perry. Um, I know that Maybe. was a topic, right? I know that, that they kind of felt like that Perry needs to find a faster brand of hockey. He needs to do something. He's, I mean, that's – it's just uh, – I mean, what, what Bob Murray said is he said every player at some point in their career, you got to figure it out. And we have to go – we all have to go through it. You're getting older, and you have to change some things you do. The things you have to change start in the offseason. I think Corey has realized that. I'm hoping he has. We're pretty deep on right wing. Coaches have been mandated. Play the guys that play the right way. That includes everybody. That's a big statement to me. That's obviously not the most obvious thing that he's saying, where Corey better get his ass in gear or he's going to find a way to get rid of him. Um, We've already all suspected that Corey Perry's been shopped and the right deal just hasn't been made for Bob because everyone knows that Bob's being held over a barrel by Corey Perry's contract and he's locked up with a a no-move clause. So he's either locked up by a team that's saying, hell no, or Perry's like, screw you, man. I'm I'm staying in Anaheim. I get to live on the beach. I'm not going anywhere. You (laughs) gave me that no-move clause, man. You can just eat it until the end of time. I'm just going to stay here forever. Uh, We don't know the system there as to what's going on behind the scenes but bob just seems very ready and content to bury him down the lineup if he doesn't perform i think so and and for me i mean i just don't see it like a Corey perry trade just doesn't seem like a, an in-season type of trade it seems like an off-season at the end of next year type of trade if they wanted to go that route like if he just didn't improve and he didn't address what was wrong with them I, I mean the funniest quote that he had in this event was somebody asked him if Perry was doing something this offseason to address his lack of speed, and Murray was just like, I sure hope so. <laughs> He's just... Yeah, he needs to do something. <laughs> really? Like, I don't know. I think it all depends what Perry does. Uh, maybe he's working on things this offseason. Maybe, like, that's kind of lit a fire, and I'm saying, yeah, you've been in, like, a superstar in this team for a long time, but now, like, you've got to change something. Like, you've got to, you've got to get things going here. Or we're just gonna throw. You're not gonna be put with Getzlaff anymore. You're not gonna be given top six minutes. You're gonna be put on the third line, and you're gonna play like 13, 14 minutes a night unless you change some things, and and show that you've made improvements. And I think that's the first time that they've kind of done this to him and really pointed out that he needs to change some things. I hope he comes into the season rejuvenated at least somewhat, and and can at least put up twenty goals and shows that he belongs in this team because I would love him to still be here. I think. Trading him at this point, even if you bring up a young guy to replace him, I think it kind of signals a little bit of a rebuild. I think you know, anytime you move a 50-, 60-point guy, you're not going to get what you want in return, especially a guy with Corey Perry's contract. So I would love for him to stick around. But if they're struggling, uh, Silverberg and him are probably the go-to guys that could get moved out. Yeah. No, I, I mean, more or less, I think Silverberg is a foregone conclusion that he's done. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think he's going to be Me in too, a duck yeah. sweater much longer. Uh, Perry's a little bit more complicated, and as much as we rag on him, we all was a point in our Anaheim Ducks fandom, even Mighty Ducks fandom, where we love the guy. We love the past. We love the 50-goal Hart Trophy winning player that used to be uh, what Corey Perry was. Um, and just, you know, knee injuries catch up, and you can't play that style of hockey your whole career. Eventually, it just eats away at you. I mean, playing that rough-and-tumble style, going to the front of the net. I mean, how many cross-checks has that guy taken in front of the net? He just eats him yeah. day in and day out. Um, people hate him on other teams, um, let alone not just the fans, the players don't like him. They go after him. So, yes, we, I've been very well outspoken when it comes to his style of play and how he needs to get better. And, you know, I wouldn't be super upset if he got traded. But, I mean, I, I mean, I would rather it work out and he's a 50-point guy, um, oh, even a sure. 45, 40 to 50-point guy. But uh, he needs to figure out his game and figure out, uh, like, a niche in the lineup. And hopefully he got quicker. Um, just 
where did you get the information about Max Jones, by the way? I didn't see that anywhere. Can, can you yeah. tell everybody what happened? Yeah. yeah. So, like, we'll just clean house a bit with a lot of the comments from the season ticket hole event. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Eric Stevens had a really good article in The Athletic where he kind of, like, summed up everything that was going on uh, and, and, you know, recently and, and every kind of all the comments that Murray made at that season ticket holder event where he brought up things like Max Jones had injured his thumb in, in training camp. We talked about this on a previous show because you and Jason were there and you said you had noticed, and a lot of people had noticed that he was he was in, I believe he, they said he was in a cast or a sling or something and that he had ended up leaving early and didn't play in that scrimmage. Well, it turns out that he had injured his thumb in camp. He's out about three months. And, and from what they, they said is he was doing drills and riding some players into the boards. And his thumb just got caught, bent backwards, and and from what Murray said, it looks like at this uh, event is he broke his scapula, which is apparently in your thumb, and now he'll be out three months, which dating back to that point, that means it'll take him to about October, which is the beginning of the season. So don't know if that kind of cancels any chance of him making the team. Murray neglected to mention him when he said guys who were close to making the team, he only brought up uh, Terry, Steele, and Waugh. So I think that kind of shows that Jones will probably start in San Diego. But disappointing for him because I think he was gunning to make the team out of camp. Yeah, man, when we talked to him, he was really pumped about that. You know, he was saying that he wanted to clean up the uh, the side of the undisciplined side of his game. He was going to focus more on the skill set, you know, the skating and shooting and, and being in the right places for his teammates to, you know, put points in the back of that or set his guys up. Um, and he even said he felt like the NHL is his brand of hockey. He's more physical. Uh, the guys are bigger, so they can take his type of hits because he's a bigger guy. So I know that he was really excited about it, man. And it's just really unfortunate that he broke his thumb like that. I mean, three months, I, that's a killer. I mean, yeah. the great thing for him is that um, that he doesn't have to worry about, you know, not being in shape. He can still do cardio and, and, and you know, exercise for the most part. Uh, but you, I'm sure he's not putting on gloves and stick handling. But at least he can stay in shape and he can get his hands back under him in October, maybe get a call up because um, it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to be ready for training camp, like you said. Yeah, I think it'll take him a little bit. He might get off to a little bit of a slow start. Like you said, cause he can't really use his hand. He can't put any gloves on and kind of get used to stick handling until October when around the season starts. So it might be a little slow start for him there, but I'm sure he'll get his feet under him and, and do well in San Diego. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a call up at some point, depending if, if the Ducks, uh, there's any injuries or if, like we said, maybe Silverberg gets shipped out or even God forbid Corey Perry gets shipped out. Uh, I think he was probably the most ready of the prospects to, to get a call up. I think Terry was like at the top of the list because he had some experience at the end of last season. I think then it probably went Jones and then Steele from there. So I, I want to see him get a call up, but I also want you know to make sure he's 100% ready and, and that now he can kind of get his bearings under him in the AHL and, and kind of earn his way up. Yeah, man, I think that's kind of what I feel like, too, for him. Um, the other thing Murray said, I know I kind of jumped ahead of what some of his comments, but uh, in that article he also talked about how shitty the Ducks were three-on-three three and they had coaches' meetings, and that's the first thing they want to clean up is their overtime. And we felt it got better, you know, right, about halfway through the season, didn't we? Felt like things started to click. Like, okay, cool. They're not, Oh, look, they're exiting the zone with the puck and then coming back in. And they were able to change the way they played in overtime, not just standing around. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, he kind of jumped back in and said it was about the speed of the team, right? Is what the, the issue was. They just weren't playing fast. But I don't know what changed in their three on three. It really does look like they just started taking their time, 
And they said, yeah, we can. We don't have to go full blast all the time. We can regroup and, and kind of control ourselves. And they actually ended up finishing the season in the last bit when they figured that out. They're actually a pretty good team at three-on-three, three, and they looked like a dangerous team in overtime, which they should be with the guys that they have and especially the, the blue liners they can put out there. No, man, for sure. I, I feel the same way. I think this team, um, it's not all down to the pits. I know we all wanted to you know, bring a star over to this team to help fix things on the offensive portion but uh just there's some immovable pieces or seemingly impossibly uh seemingly impossible pieces to move that uh, bob murray's got stuck with but uh, he made some minor retooling on this team we've talked about um i don't think it's all down in the dumps i just think it's not it's not what everyone wanted but uh let's just see how this pans out um i think murray is very understanding as to what this team needs and i I was very appreciative of the comments he made in the article of getting faster now Carter Rowney getting that contract we talked about already. I don't want to jump into that. Brian Gibbons, those are faster players. That's why he brought him in. Um, so maybe he's able to, uh, as he put in here, hit a home run with those contracts and uh, make some things work. But uh, you and I have been talking about it, man, since the end of last season. This lineup's pretty much locked. Yeah, There's not a lot of room unless you move Silverberg or Richie, and that's kind of what we're looking at. So, I mean, we're kind of it's pretty much the same team we saw last season. I think so. And, and whether you know guys like Terry Steele and Wall make it out of camp, I I think they have to push somebody out of the lineup. I, I mean, I don't think it's difficult per se to push a guy like Carter Rowney or maybe Brian Gibbons out of the lineup, but that's really it at this point. I don't think Nick Ritchie you can really shove him out of the lineup. I think if you're going to re-sign him, you got to give him a chance. Um, and then of course the top nine is pretty much set. And another thing that makes it interesting for me, too, is is Anton Rodin, and, and um, Murray said this at the season ticket holders event, that if he doesn't make the Ducks, he doesn't want to play in the AHL, he's just going to go back to Sweden. So that's another guy you have to throw into the mix that is a guy that I, they kind of have to give priority to to make the team if he does well enough, right? Because otherwise he's just going to go back to Sweden. And, and yeah. you know, if he does just as well, uh, let's say, as a guy like Terry or Steele, I would assume they would give priority to Rodin because you can send Terry and Steele and Waugh down to the AHL. You lose Rodin if you just say, hey, we're not going to play you. So I think that, again, gives priority to a guy like that over some other guys. So there's another guy we might see make the team instead of one of the young guys. So it's going to be a very hard team to, to break. But the good thing in that sense is there's a lot of depth. I mean, we haven't seen depth on Ford like this for a while, I think. I think the top nine is looking very good. Even the fourth line, which is going to probably be a mix-up of a lot of different guys, which when you when you throw in and you look at maybe Richie, Gibbons, Rowney, Rodian, Terry Steele, Kevin Waugh, you know, Max Jones eventually, there's a lot of guys that could fit on that fourth line, and it's definitely going to be a lot better than it was last year because you look at the fourth line last year, and it was Derek Grant, Chris Kelly, and Jason Chimera. So I'm a little bit more optimistic. I know. I I mean, I'm a bit more (laughs) optimistic about their their fourth line and and just their forward depth in general. I think it's it's going to be the best it's been in a while. doesn't mean it's top in the league, but they've got a lot of young guys and a lot of role players who I think are better than some guys they've had previously. Well, hey, man, let's get to some questions before we get to the ending of our show and, and talk about some things before we, and we get to the interview. So let's, let's hit some of our fan questions. Um, I want to start in the chat just because they're live and right here. Uh, Ricky in chat says, what do you think of the contract deal? Montour got too much, just right or too little. Uh, we talked about this earlier on the show, Ricky, if you could join us earlier. But uh, we both kind of felt like it was about right. 
Uh, yeah. Maybe a little much because it's just he hasn't had a huge sample size. But when you're talking about what he could be worth, um, I guess he could have got more on the open market. And, you know, obviously him being an RFA, the Ducks had leverage and he wasn't going anywhere. He had to sign and he only wanted a one year deal. Murray gives him a two year deal. So I think it's a win for both sides. And if he kills it this year, he's just or next year and this year, he's going to get paid. But uh, I yeah. thought the contract was probably about right. Yeah, it's a little bit more than I th- I thought he would get for a bridge deal, but it's not a lot more. Like you know, like he was asking for f- over four for one season, so I thought he might get around two and a half, two and three quarters over the two year period, and then he ends up getting I think just like three point three is what he ended up settling around. So not bad. Um, for me again, like we said earlier, it's kind of the the contract after this that's a bit more worrying because if he does very well, then he's going to get a significant raise, probably around five, five and a half, and maybe he takes a shot at Camp Fowler in six. That all depends on on how oh, he does, boy. though. Yeah, that would be uh, something that Murray would have to work out, especially with Gibby and all those we already talked about getting paid. That would be one hell of a contract to squeeze uh, Monty in. Um, go to some questions here. Chase asked the question. This is reading off of uh, social media. He says, what kind of contracts do you think Kasha and Richie deserve? Unfortunately, we just talked about this too. Um, <laughs> they're definitely holding out because they feel like they got low-balled. Uh, they probably want a little much. Again, it's the sample size for Kasha. And I know I said that about Richie, but you're right. We kind of know what he is, and he's not a bad player. I mean, he's a bottom six guy. And uh, hopefully he is not trying to get Tom Wilson money because Tom Wilson just got ridiculously paid. Yeah, I, I think, again, I... I think probably right now they're getting a little bit low-balled and then I think they're probably on the high end and that's how every contract destruction always goes right the, the GM is trying to get you at a lower value probably lower than what you're worth and the player is trying to get a higher value probably higher what the, than they're worth we saw that in the early leaks of what Montour's discussion was like we like we just said so I would think that they they usually settle somewhere in the middle of that. Um, right now, like Murray said, they have a little bit more leverage because both these guys don't have arbitration rights, so they can continue to work and work and work, but they usually settle somewhere in the middle. So I would assume Kasha and Richie sign anywhere around two to three. I, I don't think any higher than that. Yeah, and that eats up almost all the Ducks cap space. I mean, they Pretty only much. have eight. So it's just chew, getting chewed up. Seagag14 uh, from Reddit says, what uniform kit do we see opening night? Do the Ducks go with with their alternate jersey because they're wearing it against the Red Wings on opening night at home? Uh, you guys think they'll go with the all-black equipment, gloves, shell, and helmet? Yes, I think they will. Or eggplant combo, maybe jades, eggplant, and black. They're going to go all-black. That's what I feel like they're going to do there. I don't think they're going to be wearing jade with those or eggplant with those at all, do you? I, I don't know. Um, I think they probably go black because the base of the jersey is black. Right. Um, so I think you know maybe they have a little bit of like stripes here and there of the teal, maybe the silver. Um, the purple isn't really prominent on the jersey, so I don't see it being prominent on any other equipment. But I can see the teal making you know some kind of striping or something on the pants or on the gloves. Um, but I would assume the helmet's probably black, and the base of the gloves and the pants uh, are, are probably black as well. I don't really see them there's no way they would go like teal <laughs> with the pants or anything so i don't see them going that crazy so really the only other option there for me is, is to go black and i think that's what they do and then uh we have another question from reddit eddie you want to grab that yeah it was uh, a question we got right before this started about nick ritchie so uh meat boy tan tan on reddit says <laughs> uh, with nick ritchie's age being 22 and having the data to show that a forward is mostly done developing at age 23, 
What do you see in store for Richie if he doesn't take that extra leap this season? Does management hold firm and stick with him? Or do they feel guilty they rushed Richie by bringing him up after only a season with the goals? Um, they probably rushed him, uh, in my opinion. But at the same time, at this point, he is what, it, what he is, and he's a solid bottom six guy. And like uh, like you said, Eddie, it, you can't you can't beat a guy up for just being what he is. It's, yeah. it's 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 his status as a first round pick at ten or at tenth overall that hurts him uh, when people look at his numbers. But I mean, realistically, it doesn't hurt to have a guy who puts up twenty thirty points on the fourth line or third line. No. I, I like him. I, I can't like, I, and I agree with that sense where guys kind of stop developing after twenty three. Unless you're an extremely late bloomer, you don't really see it. Especially guys who've already played almost two full seasons in the National Hockey League. So I think this is what we're gonna get from Richie, uh, unless of course he's given like more opportunities, like a guy like we talked about already. And Tom Wilson wasn't playing on the top line, but I think that's almost past Nick Richie because we've seen him play on the top line before, and that really hasn't helped his production too much. So I think he's going to be a consistent 25-point guy at, at, around that that sense, maybe 30 on a good year. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I just don't think he's ever going to kind of reach the lofty expectations that the Ducks hoped from him. And, and maybe that's some instance of them rushing him a bit, but I feel like he was always going to be this type of player. He just doesn't really have the speed to really keep up in today's game. And, and it all kind of changed when he came into the league and, and his shot, really didn't transition that was the big thing for him he had a great shot in junior and it really didn't transition into being a great shot in the national hockey league we see instances instances of it but it's not consistent enough to put him in like a 20 goal kind of category right and that's what's missing from his game everyone wanted to put up 20 25 goals a season and it just hasn't translated but yeah I, i'm not i'm not upset with him being a you know a role player and you know getting a low a low dollar amount but a you know not a respectable guy right so yeah. i don't mind putting seeing him get 20 30 or 25 35 points on the third or fourth line uh one more question in our chat drew he says what game are we most excited about i mean obviously we're excited about the 21st <laughs> drew yeah. Eddie's coming to town. Uh, we originally planned to go to that game because we wanted to see Rasmus Dahlin uh, play for the Buffalo Sabres. And then, lo and behold, the Ducks come out about a week or so later and say, hey, we're going to retire Paul Korea's jersey on that night. So that being my favorite player and your favorite player, just it mixed for you know just being a perfect weekend. Um, come hang out with uh, Jason and I and our families. We're going to do a watch party. We can kind of transition now with what we have planned here. And uh, – Watch party on the 20th against Vegas. Um, I believe it's going to be at the Lamp Post Pizza over here in your Belinda. We'll get more details on that as it gets closer. Uh, there will most likely be prizes there. So if you guys want to show up, we'll play. We'll do some raffles, maybe play a game. But uh, definitely be watching the Ducks in Vegas play. And then the next night, I mean, absolutely, whoever's at the game and wants to meet up, I'm sure we'd all love to hang out with you guys and talk hockey and intermission or maybe pregame um, on Sunday the 21st. But, uh, any more thoughts on that weekend, Eddie? No, just uh, it's going to be really exciting. I think it was crazy how it worked out, and now you know we're going to have the watch party and everything and meeting some people at the game. So definitely come out to that. That will be a lot of fun. We will be doing uh, a live post, probably two then, right? Or maybe like the – I guess it will be two live in person for us post-game shows, one after the watch party uh, for the Vegas game and then one after the Buffalo game. So we'll be having two – live post-game shows when the season starts back up again, which will be exciting. We haven't done that before. They've all been over Skype so far, so that will be an interesting setup for sure. 
if we somehow had like 40 to 50 people show up at frickin' Lampost Pizza and watch the game with us, I would do a live post game show there at yeah at the at the pizza place with mics and our board all set up. That'd be fun. It'd be yeah. interesting. It'd be cool. But I, I mean, honestly, it, it would be kind of kind of uh, interesting to see if they'd even let us do it. And that's why I was saying if we bring yeah. enough people in to you know to fill the place, they'd be like, all right, you guys can you guys can talk like uh, talk like idiots with microphones in your mouth, even though you guys aren't famous <laughs> in our pizza joint. Um, we'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll figure the venues to be decided, I guess, for a post game show. But definitely a watch party there at the pizza place on the twentieth. Yeah, so kind of going into the beginning of the season, we've got a lot of things planned that we don't have a lot of confirmation on yet, but we've got a lot of things planned for the start of the season for Forever Mighty and for the Puck Guys as well. So kind of stay tuned for that. I don't know, this might be the last show of the summer, depending on if they have some more news. I hope not, but we've got a lot planned coming in September, and then, of course, in October, uh, Forever Mighty Three Stars will be back. Cool Hockey is again sponsoring us, so we'll be having jersey giveaways for every winner for each month during Forever Mighty Three Stars. So that's a lot of third jerseys if you want to win one that way. And speaking of third jersey giveaways, like we mentioned in the beginning of the show, we are doing one right now. So if you're listening to this and you haven't seen our social media, we have three ways to enter right now. You can enter through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we'll be doing different ways to enter throughout the summer because the jerseys don't come in stock until October so check those ways to enter right now and then we'll be having a bunch of different ways to enter through August and September uh, and that's pretty much it I mean we've got uh, like uh, Patrick already said the watch party and everything so just kind of stay tuned for what plans we have coming up and by the way man shout out to anybody listening to this podcast that is new to the show or new to Puck Guys and you guys you know went over and followed us on all of our social medias we had hundreds of people sign up i mean even if you just signed up to win a jersey and you're not listening to this we appreciate the support uh we hope you guys listen to the show and enjoy our content either way but shout out to everybody who did that that was awesome for us uh gives us more visibility and uh we love you guys for it but uh as we end the show we got to turn it over to our interviews here with nolan walker and bo grew take it away man hey everybody we've got a special guest today on forever mighty we have nolan walker uh, hockey player, obviously, otherwise he wouldn't be on this show. And we got to, I had to see a little bit of him at the uh, the Ducks development camp. He's, what's going on, Nolan? How you doing, man? I'm good. Uh, how are you guys doing? We're good. Uh, I just, we just wanted to reach out and chat about your experiences with, you know, growing up in Alaska playing hockey. And like I mentioned, we saw you at the Ducks development camp, which was cool. Um, word is, you just uh, committed for next year to the NCAA, though, right? Yeah, I'm committed to uh, St. Cloud State University. Um, it's about an hour north of Minneapolis, so I'm really excited for next year. How was and uh, how was it though growing up? Before we get to the college part of your life, how was it growing up playing hockey in Alaska? I mean, I'm, the most we know of it here is like Mystery Alaska, and that's about <laughs> it. Like uh, most of us haven't been up there. Yeah, I mean, I guess hockey's pretty big up here. It's cold. Um, I guess I started when I was around three years old. My dad got me into hockey. Um, kind of, I guess, kind of cliche, but I started outside um, skating on the outdoor rinks and on the lakes too. Um, my buddy's backyard I used to live on. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess, growing up here, a lot of guys like to skate outside and stuff, and I guess I know, we love to do that here. And I got, um, I started playing for the Alaska All Stars, um, the little program. That my friend's grandpa actually started. Um, I 
played for them until I was about 13 or 14 and I left home um, to go to Culver Academy in Indiana to prep school. So, um, you know, I guess I started outside here in Alaska and then continued to do that until I left home because uh, I knew I had to leave Alaska in order to pursue my goals and dreams of playing at the higher levels of hockey. So, Yeah, that's that's a huge change, huh? Going from, like, the, like the, the wilderness that is Alaska that a few people – down here seeing to go into the middle of the united states has got to be quite the change yeah it was it was a huge change i think it's probably harder for my parents because i left so i left so young i got recruited um by culver at this uh regional camp in colorado springs um it's, i don't know if you guys have heard it. it's like kind of like pacific district camp um, for western states in the united states um so, yeah, they were there uh, scouting, and then they started talking to me, and then I kind of looked into the school. I didn't really – I never really heard of it until, until they started to reach out to me, and then um, I applied for a scholarship, and then uh, I received a full-ride scholarship, so I thought it was a no-brainer to leave home and kind of, you know, start my real journey of hockey. Yeah, and, and, and you talked about having to leave Alaska to kind of – move on in, in your hockey career well, what's hockey development like there is it growing is it getting better with with some of the guys making it to the nhl like scott gomez and dubinsky and, and nate thompson yeah. is it getting better i think you know i think it's i think it's trying to get better i mean guys there's i think there's more kids playing obviously now yeah. um i knew that i i know a lot of kids my age had to leave home early um just because I know a lot of scouts don't really come up to Alaska and recruit kids. Like, we always had to go on trips. Like, whether to – we always actually went to California um, for tournaments. Um, and then we also went to, like, Chicago or Minnesota. So, I think, you know, hockey here is growing um, with the kids getting outside. And just for the passion of hockey, it's great weather for outdoor hockey. And so, um, you know, I think it's getting better and better each year. Is it a, is it a boost for guys from the area to see, like I said, guys like Scott Gomez and Brandon Dubinsky and Nate Thompson make yeah, it to the NHL? Yeah. Is it is it like a boost for them to see them, or a boost for you guys to see them succeed? Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys know. Everyone here knows who those guys are. Um, yeah, and everyone watched them growing up, and you know, I guess they're at the highest level, and I think kids here I mean, want to do that, and they want to be the next kid that comes out of Alaska. I mean, and that's one of my goals is. So one day hopefully play in the NHL and be a guy that kids can look up to one day. So, Dude, you talk about all those outdoor rinks. We don't have anything like that out here. I think the closest we get is we have, uh, I think there's like four or five roller hockey rinks out and like sprinkled around parks, yeah. but they don't really have nets set up or anything, dude. It's I'm super yeah. jealous about your uh, your childhood experiences with hockey. I just have never been treated that way. Yeah. No, there's – I mean, it's not only just rinks. um like kids will skate on lakes here and i try to do that and um but most you're of killing now, me like we don't have that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like close to my house there's a rink that um that they do actually and they like um they'll like actual Zam- zamboni it too and it's actually really good ice like we'll get real games outside and you know go out there at night it's really cold and play for a few hours so gotta that's get out to canada and alaska pad you gotta you gotta get out here and experience skating on a lake as long as it doesn't get as hot as it does in parts of Toronto where you're at, man. I mean, what Nolan's just saying right now sounds beautiful to me, but you just experienced the 100 degrees, too. I don't know if I could do that in Canada. No, 
No, it's uh, uh, I, I, I dream of, of the weather that they're having right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nolan, yeah. you, you chose the USHL route out of high school. Was that something that uh, you and your family kind of decided out, or is that just like what, what interested you uh, to going in there, or was Major Junior yeah, an option I mean, in Canada? Um, I knew education is important to me. Um, I kind of talked to some WHL teams. Um, I know they have like the Bantam draft. I don't know if you guys know all about yeah. that. Um, but I, I mean, I talked to a few teams and I kind of told them I wanted to go the college route. Cause I don't know. I just always grew up. I watched watching the uh, university of Alaska Anchorage, uh, the college here. So, um, I always, I kind of wanted to play college hockey when I was older. It looked like a great environment and the fans and all that. So I, I wanted to go the college route. So, um, you know, I left home kind of pursuing to play four years of high school and then hopefully go to juniors and then and then college next. So that was my whole dilemma. So No, that makes sense, though. So, I mean, you ended up getting, you know, on the, you played for the Sioux Falls, right? Stampede. Yeah. And Sioux Falls you had a good season, yeah. which totally earned you yeah. a develop, or the development campaign, but I bet, from the Ducks. How exciting was it, yeah. was it for you to get that call? Oh, it was awesome. Um Actually, last year, uh, prior to the draft, I thought, I mean, I talked to a few teams, and I thought I was, I was going to get drafted, but I was injured. Um, and then I eventually, I mean, I didn't get drafted. And then the Ducks called me like 30 minutes after the draft and invited me to the camp. But I couldn't go because I was recovering from uh, wrist surgery. So I thought that was awesome. And then this year, I hope that, again, I maybe get drafted again, and I didn't, which wasn't that big of a deal and then the ducks called me again and i knew it would be a great opportunity because i was healthy and you know i was just super excited to have that chance that's all awesome. what, what was the uh what was the experience like though is it is it kind of like a vibe in that room with all those all those guys from all over the place coming together and and for the development camp it almost seems like the first part of an audition before training camp is that kind of the vibe you guys got yeah, I mean, it was kind of relaxed, though. Um, a lot of guys told me it wasn't going to be that hard of a camp. Like, we just had stuff in the morning. Like, we'd work out and go through stuff and then skate. But, no, it was really competitive, and I had a blast. And I tried to ask a lot of questions because that was my goal coming in. I knew I wasn't a prospect. Um, so I just tried to get as much info as I could from other guys and coaches and try to take that with me for the future. So no, there's no nastiness or, or no rivalries coming to a head at any point during the camp. There, we were hoping there no, might be a scrap. No. <laughs> no, there wasn't actually. We only scrimmaged one time, so we just practiced the rest of the days. Yeah, there was I, a scrap. I think last season there was for sure. I don't remember who it was, but there was definitely a scrap during development <laughs> camp last summer. I remember that. So I was, I was wondering if there was some people returning that were going to have the same issue. No, yeah, there, there was a good scrimmage, competitive and fast and skilled. And no, there wasn't anything really. I guess there wasn't any beef, you'd say, but um, no, it was a. Uh, it wasn't that hard of a camp, I guess. Um, but no, yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, and you talked about the the scrimmage, which was open to the fans on Sunday. Did you get a chance to kind of meet with any of the fans and, and talk with anybody that came out? I didn't. I know. A lot of a lot of the fans were coming up to like guys they knew or yeah. they seemed been drafted, so that was cool to see. But the whole stands was packed, and I didn't really expect that. And it was awesome atmosphere, and you no, know, it was it was really cool. 
And now that you've been through the entire camp, what what were the favorite parts you had of development camp? Was it you know being able to see all the fans coming out? What what was you know your kind of favorite moments? I think just being able to experience like that type of hockey. I it was really good hockey. All these guys are prospects, or either um, invited like me, and um, and all these guys are some of these guys will be playing in the NHL soon. Um, so if not, they'll all be playing professional hockey. So I guess just having that experience around guys like that and be able to ask them ask questions and try to learn from them. So when you had your time out here in California, we uh, we had Blake McLaughlin and Jack Perbix on the show on our last yeah. one. We had to ask them because they had just come from a Dodgers game uh, after they uh, and then they gave us a call. We were we were asked them about uh, picking up some in and out. Have you have you had a chance to grab a burger from that place, Ryan? It's like a it's like a big time thing. Yeah, yeah it's I've I've been there before. I've been to California a lot, just like I said earlier. Um, to go into tournaments and stuff, but yeah, I love In and Out Burger. It's so good. I'm just waiting for someone to come on and be like, "Oh man, that sucks. We hate In and Out. We go for Burger King every time. We don't want to deal with In and Out." Yeah, it's cheap too. Not yeah, I know, right? Money, but it's good. It's good. So, are you going to be heading back to, to Orange County at all here before you start your season in NCAA? Are you going to go back to training camp at all for the Ducks? No, I'm not. Uh, my plan is just to go to college next year and just continue to get better. And I, I mean, I hope to one day eventually sign with Anaheim um, in my four years in college. So that's my next goal. So, do you? Uh, I got to ask you for and this. That was that was. This is my last question of the of the show here. But are you a gamer at all? You you hop on and play any uh, any NHL? Yeah, I I play NHL and Fortnite. So those two most popular games I think for me. Do you do you create your own player or do you pick one of your heroes when you were growing up? And if so, who was it? Um, if I had to pick a player or if I made one. Yeah, do you make your own? Do you put do you put yourself into the game or do you pick? Are you just like pick a team or pick a player to play as? Um, I guess I I guess I pick a I make my own guy. Um, I don't know. Try to make him as like me and place him on a team, I guess you'd say. <laughs> you'd like rank yourself 99, you spec your guy out 99 all the way down? Yeah. That's what I always yeah, say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much all the guys we get on here, that's the two games that they play, NHL and Fortnite. I think Blake and Jack said the same thing, and, and most of the guys, I mean, we had Max Jones at one point, and, and he's pretty big in Fortnite too, so th- those are usually the two that we get. Yeah, yeah. Really so. Yeah, so I just I had one last question for you about um, about St. Cloud State and, and going there in the fall. Uh, was what was it that kind of enticed you to go there? I know you talked about the University in Anchorage, and and was there, was there anywhere else you kind of considered going, or was that really the number one choice for you? Um, actually, I was committed to Alaska Anchorage at uh, sixteen years old. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole the whole process was uh, I kind of wanted to come home and play in front of my home hometown and in front of my family and friends and be close to home and but I you know, I realized that I wanted to kind of explore my other options I kind of committed too early as you'd say um and I wanted to see what other options I could have and then St. Cloud started talking to me after I decommitted from Alaska Anchorage um you know their style of play I think fits me uh, really well and the coaching staff I really liked and um, you know, the campus is great, and they have a great rank, and they're in probably the best league in college hockey, so that was another thing I liked about St. Cloud. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us, Nolan. I, I know it's uh, been a crazy summer for you getting the invite to the Ducks camp and now going uh, to uh, St. Cloud State in the fall. Uh, if you guys want to check him out, make sure to check out some games when you can uh, in the NCAA next season. And you can follow him at NolanWalker20 on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us, Nolan. Thank you very much. Hey, take care, man. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye. All right, so now we've got Ducks' second-round pick from their most recent draft joining us. We've got Bo Groove from the Halifax Mooseheads. How are things going since the draft, Bo? Um, actually, it's going pretty well. After I got drafted, I, I had a chance to spend a couple of days uh, well, in Gatineau with my family, celebrating that a little bit. So, no, it's been, it's been a fun couple of weeks. I've been down there in Anaheim. It's a beautiful place. It's a, it's a, a great place to play hockey, so... No, I couldn't be more excited to be a part of this uh, amazing family. Perfect. And, you know, going back to the draft, what was that moment like? Uh, I know all year you kind of hear about where you're going to go and, and, you know, if you're going to go first round, second round, wherever. But finally, you know, hearing your name, finding out what team it is, to describe that moment. Oh, it was an awesome moment. I mean, I can't even put the words in. If, example, uh, um I, I never seen my dad cry, and uh, my dad always uh, always been a guy who was really strict. And uh, everyone everyone uh, like looks at him and tell me that he has an attitude or something, but, but it's not true. My dad is a, a funny guy; he's a sensitive guy at the same time. So it was really nice to see him that way, that emotional. So it was a, a really an awesome moment with my family. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been waiting for that moment since uh, since I started playing hockey. So. I mean, especially getting drafted by Anaheim was actually my my first choice, so it's uh, it's awesome. Yeah, and I think I'd seen that you said that Anaheim was your first choice because you really fit their their style of game. For anybody on the West Coast uh, who hasn't seen your style of game, what what type of hockey do you play? Um, I'm a power forward with talent. I, I like to play offensively, defensively. Um, I think if I compare myself to one guy in the NHL, it would be a guy like. Uh, Jamie Benn, uh, Patrice Bergeron, and if I look in the roster of Anaheim, I can compare myself to Ryan Kessler, uh, guys like that. So, say I think Anaheim, they like they've proven over the year that they dress, that they want to, um, people who are big, they have skills, they can shoot, they can skate. So, I think that that's what they drafted uh, this year in me and uh, Isaac. For sure, and you look at uh, now Dev Camp. You just came out of development camp in Anaheim. Well, what was that experience like meeting the other prospects? You know, the Ducks have been drafting recently out of the QMJHL and, and Maxime Comtois and, and Antoine Moran. What was it like? You know, meeting those guys and meeting a lot of the other prospects. Um, I, I knew both of them a little bit. We played together at the Subway Series uh, mm-hmm. this year, so I knew them a little bit. So I think it was nice to see a family of faces. Uh, over there, so but especially meeting guys like uh, Troy Terry, Max Jones, uh, uh, Jacob Larson. So that was awesome. It was an awesome moment. I learned a lot, uh, a lot from those guys, and I hope uh, going back there and learn some more from the veterans. So now I'm really excited for what's ahead. Yeah, and did you get a chance to meet some of the friends? I know the Sunday scrimmage was open to the public, so did you get a chance to meet some people? Uh, yes, I met a couple of them after the scrimmage, so I I can see in their eyes that they are very passionate, that they 
they they really want to see our team win. So now I'm the, uh, it would be awesome for me to play in front of those guys uh, soon. Yeah, and, and you talk about playing in front of some passionate fans. Uh, I mean, you're coming from one of the best organizations in the entire Canadian Hockey League and the Halifax Mooseheads. You guys got a trip now to the Memorial Cup next year being the host. How exciting is that to know that you're going to matter what? Oh, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, I've, since uh, my dad coached the QMJHL, he, he's won the prison club, I think, three times, and he went to the Memorial Cup, well, three times, so. And he hasn't won uh, one Memorial Cup, so I think it would be good personally to to bring back a Memorial Cup in the family. But if I look, look for a team, it's, it's not the moment. It would be a second time for Outline and Santa with us next year. But for the other guys, I think we're we're all really excited. We're we're everyone is having a great summer, a great hard summer of training. So I think we're gonna be ready to to face uh, everything this year. For sure, and you'll be playing with uh, Ducks prospect Antoine Moran in Halifax this year. And I know you said you talked to him a bit at the development camp, but uh, how good will it be for both of you guys to kind of get uh, acclimated with each other? Oh, for sure. It's going to be awesome. We, we got drafted in the same team, so it's even better for the organization to have two players in the same team. So they, they can have a chemistry right away. And so I think it's, it's just good for us and it's just good for the organization. And I spent uh, two weeks uh, with Antoine and Anaheim, and we we have a great chemistry together right away. We didn't we didn't know each other a lot, but I think uh, we connect very well. So I think this series is going to be scary. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And um, I want to talk a bit about uh, your dad. Obviously, he's a big influence in your life, and and leading up to now, and, and being part of an NHL organization. Uh, how important was it to have him, you know, there every step of the way, and for him also to have a background in coaching? Oh, for sure. I think he helped me a lot uh, throughout my my young career. I mean, I think I developed my passion of of hockey through him a little bit. He obviously was coach for Gatineau for like two, uh, twelve years, so I kind of grew up watching watching him coach uh, in the NHL, and I grew up watching hockey, so. I think uh, I couldn't be in in a in a better family. I'm in, I'm from a hockey family, so I think my dad really helped me, especially this year for for obviously the NHL draft and all the stress coming with that and all the expectations. So I think I'm really grateful to have a dad who knows who knows a lot about hockey and especially he's he's a in an NHL organization. So I think he can help me some more to achieve my dreams someday. Yeah, and it's it's going to be a, an exciting year, and I think for you, uh, maybe a little bit less stressful, you would think, because now you, you, you know you're part of the organization. You're not out there trying to impress 31 different teams. you just got to focus on what Anaheim's told you to do and go back to do in Halifax. So is it going to be a little bit less stress on you this year in Halifax? Oh, for sure. I think for, for everyone, it's going to be less stress. I mean, especially having someone... Uh, we got drafted in the same team. I think we can help each other a lot. And uh, Luke Isaac, uh, Gravel, uh, Jonathan Cheney, I know Durando, all guys who got drafted uh, two years ago. So, so I think we can really help each other. And obviously those guys who don't have pressure anymore, they got drafted like, like me and Antoine. So I think everyone's really excited and we're ready to have a big year. 
And, and what's the one thing that you're looking to work on the most from your game leading into to this season? Uh, is there something you've really focused on that you want to improve on? Uh, I think I want to work on my, my offensive game a little bit more. I think I want to be a little bit more more creative, uh, shoot, the, uh, shoot the puck a little bit more. So I think that's going to – I think I'm going to have better stats at the end of the year, more goals, uh, more and more points in general. So I think that's, that's the biggest part for me. All right, Bobo, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know you're taking a little bit of time out of training, like you said, so it's a, a real pleasure having you on the show. Perfect. Thanks a lot.